Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. As always, I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Michael Wilder. And this is part four with Richard Dutcher. Richard Dutcher would be the father of original uh, Mormon films. Richard was LDS at the time and did some films about Mormon missionaries that were quite wonderful. At one point, though, when Richard had been in prayer, the Lord spoke to him and told him that Mormonism was not true. And at the end of the last episode, he said that he told his wife, and his wife said to him, what does it matter if it's not true? Welcome back, Richard. Thanks. Do you want to jump in there and explain a little bit what it's like and how like a meshed and strong Mormon culture is for some folks and how truth might not even matter? Yeah, well, when she told me that, I I was dumbfounded, literally dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I remember there was the kitchen counter between us and we were talking and I was just looking at her and you know, I I was shocked and uh, I the confusion came because I was Mormon because I believed it was real. I believed it was true. That's the only reason I was a Mormon. If if I didn't, you know, and, and as soon as I knew that it wasn't real, I had to leave. It wasn't a question for me. But so when she said that, it just really set me back. And uh, I didn't understand at the time as the years have gone on and I've, you know, had time to really think about it a little more objectively. You know, I understand better now but, you know, for a lot of people, and I learned afterwards as I left, uh, and people told me I was crazy. A lot of Mormons told me, I, one of my best friends, when I told him about my experience and that I was leaving, explaining why, and and he just said, you're an idiot. It's like, why are you leaving? You know, you're you're doing well as a filmmaker. You're, you, everything's going great. Just, just keep making films. He says, you know, you just keep making films, keep making money, just... You know, put it all behind you. And and I just, you know, I loved him, but I couldn't, it was like, I can't even comprehend that way of thinking. And it's it's not a question. And I had, in fact, Levi Peterson, who uh, was one of the Mormon writers that I really respected. He, he had written a, a novel called The Backslider, which is one of the only really solid novels to come out of Mormonism ever. It's a fantastic novel. So I, I had a lot of respect for him. But at a Sunstone one time, he we were talking and and he's probably 20 years older than me or so, but he was expressing his sadness that I was leaving. And he, and he said, we need you in Mormonism. We need you to, you know, you need, you have a voice that you need to, uh, that needs to stay in the church. And I tried to explain to him that that's, it's just not an option. It's like that, you know, it might be the right thing for you, but that's not the right thing for me. And, uh, and, and then the other thing that I understood about what my wife later, I understood what she was saying. And I think it's important uh, is that she understood better than me. I believe what, what this meant for our family, because at that time, you know, even though States of Grace hadn't done well, you know, financially, we were, you know, we had a home, we had, we had two homes, basically were one that we ran the company out of and everything was going great. And, and then she saw that, you know, 
what that was going to do if I left the church, you know, then I would be a famous apostate, which is exactly what I, you know, I never wanted to be an apostate, but that's the role that Latter-day Saints want to put you in. I just wanted to leave, you know, gently, but that the community would turn against us. You know, there'd be a lot of ugliness that was going to come down the road. You know, financially, it would be a complete disaster for our family. Um, and, and within our family, because most, you know, her family was, you know, mostly LDS. Her parents were LDS. And anyway, and it would be bad for the kids. And, and that's exactly what happened. So I, you know, I understood that she saw the, the uh, train wreck that was coming. And, um, and of course, it wasn't good news, you know, and basically I was bringing the train wreck in a sense. So I, I understand now why the, the distance between us, you know, started that night and it just continued to grow until the marriage failed. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of, uh, uh, darkness after that, you know, for me, because, uh, I didn't, and I think it's important now to talk about the fact that I, um, I didn't know to go, you know, if I, now, if I could go back in time and talk to myself at that time, I would just say, get to a, you know, Christian church at the time. It just, that was such a, a foreign idea because I had just been betrayed by a church. Um, and that, you know, to me, that betrayal was the deepest wound and, uh, and I was grieving, you know, I'd always, I wanted Mormonism to be real. That's something else I try to explain to people. It's like, I didn't leave because, you know, I wanted to go drink or carouse or I wanted Mormonism to be real. So when the Lord told me it wasn't, that was a devastating truth to me that, uh, that I, I grieved over for a very, very long time. And so when, and then especially when everything started to collapse, um, I, uh, I didn't handle it well, you know, I didn't just, I didn't just go find a church and start opening the new Testament and, and, uh, and because I, I was so disappointed, so crushed. And, and so I just basically walked away. I never lost my faith in God, but, um, but I, I wish I could go back and just, you know, erase the the almost 10 years of just discouragement and defeat that followed that before I um, was brought back. So did you stay in Utah to endure this? <laughs> I, I did. Um, my kids were there, you know, the school um, yeah. was there and uh, their school was there and and my wife's family was there. So I just felt like that was the the right thing to do. And also I, I didn't really, I've never had a problem with kind of being an outsider. That's, that's never been a, an issue. In fact, in Provo, uh, I think I was a little famous for a while because one of the, one of the films I had made called falling right, right after I did States of Grace, I had had a huge Christus statue made for the film, which is, you know, a 11 foot, marble statue of Christ by this great artist, uh, Bertel Thurvaldsum. It's, it's an old thing, but the church uses it kind of like an iconic image. And, uh, I have seen the original in Denmark. One of our I sons think. served a mission in Denmark, Matt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. 
Mormon yeah. Church uses it. Yeah, they used to have it in the visitor center. I don't know if it's still there on Temple Square. Yeah, they still use it, but I I had mine in my front yard in Provo because <laughs> after the film, I didn't know what to do with it, and so I just put it up in the front yard. So here in Provo is this old uh, Victorian house where I was now living, and uh, had my big Jesus statue there, and I would sit out often in this period of my life, and I'd just be on the front porch drinking a glass of wine and smoking a cigar. And uh, all the Mormons would pass on their way to church, and I'm just on the porch. And actually, you know, I think they just took me as this kind of eccentric character. Everybody knew who I was, mm. and um, I was never unfriendly. So, you know, um, you know, in person, very few people were were unfriendly to me. But uh, they would give me a strange look when they'd pass by, and people didn't understand. It's like Jesus cigar. Bearded man, it just didn't make sense to them. <laughs> in the middle of Provo, uh, Utah. Yeah. It just did not make sense. But you kept doing film, right? Yeah, well, I, I had to. I, and this was the this was a among the many, many tragedies that I was experiencing at that time. We talked about how it, you know, I just loved film and it was just all I wanted, but I also wanted to be a man of God. And then eventually I found a way when I when I uh realized that I could make films about Mormonism, about my faith journey. And, and then for the first time in my life, it like came together. And those were like such happy and fulfilling years. You know, the, the God's army, the Brigham city and the years leading up to States of grace were, and even States of grace and falling where I was taking my, I was still able, even though I was in this, you know, going through this, you know, darker journey, journey spiritually, I was able to take my, it was my faith and my filmmaking and they were, they were informing and nourishing each other. And, you know, my filmmaking was informing my faith journey and my faith journey was informing my filmmaking. And that's what, that's was amazing. And it was beautiful. And then it was suddenly done, you know, because I had no more financing. All I could get done was I, I did a, a horror movie, you know, a good R rated, you know, stylish horror movie. I made a, uh, a comedy um, that were, you know, they were, they were fun in their own way. As a filmmaker, they were fun, but they were not at all satisfied. They had no spirituality in them whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, everything, except that that beautiful rope had come undone again, where here was my faith, which was basically dead at the time, and but I was still making films, but they were separated. Um, really, really sad time of my life. Um and then in the midst of this, uh, uh, the Lord brought me back. And that in itself is a remarkable, it's a remarkable story and a, and a key part of my testimony where I um, I was in a hamburger joint just getting a hamburger and to set the stage. This was, it was a dark time in my life. I was drinking too much. My marriage was done. I was just miserable and uh, um, and I was standing in line late at night at a hamburger joint, downtown Salt Lake city. A guy is behind me, a huge dude, ratty clothes, big beard, tattoos all over. He looked like he'd just gotten off his motorcycle and the rest of the gang was still outside. And uh, I'm aware of him because he was so big. Uh, and uh, he just kind of, taps on my shoulder and I look behind and he's like, you're Richard Dutcher. And I said, no, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't in the movie <laughs> to talk to anybody. 
And he goes, he's got this big smile on his face. And he goes, yes, you are. You're Richard Dutcher. And I denied it again. And then finally, he's like, he's like you are. And so I admitted, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and we started talking in line. And then I noticed, and then he mentioned that he was a pastor and he used to be a Mormon. Um, and he'd seen my films. And, and then I noticed that the tattoos that he had were, they weren't mermaids and they weren't anchors. And, you know, it was, they were Christian symbols, you know, a big cross and other, other Christian symbols. And I, I was really intrigued by this guy. <laughs> And he was so friendly and so much not what was in my mind as a Christian pastor. And he said, I want to have lunch with you. I'm going to buy you lunch sometime. And, and I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, all right. I, this is an interesting man. I was just so interested in him as a character. It was like, wow, this is a, uh, it, my, it didn't fit in my brain that this was a Christian pastor. So I agreed to, uh, few days later we met up and and he got bought me lunch and we talked and I just loved this guy it was like wow this was seemed such a genuine person funny and he was loving and he talked about you know his journey out of mormonism and and he talked about what he knew about my journey out of mormonism and and um and then he said as he was you know as we were wrapping it up he's like we do a, you know I do a a service like a Bible. It's more of a Bible study than a service, but we do it every Sunday. And, you know, we do another thing on Wednesday nights and just come on down. It's an industrial park. It's not really a church, you know, come on down. And, and so I, I, I just liked him so much that I thought, okay, I'm going to go give this, give it a try. I'll, I'll support him. I'll go see what he preaches and uh, walked into that little, and it really was, I drove into this, it was an industrial park where people are like welding trailers and building stuff out of concrete. And, and then there's a, a place and you know, walk into it and it, he's got a big cross on the wall and some chairs and, and he had a church service and, and his message really touched me. And uh, um, I don't know if we have time and to go into all of that, but it was just like, that was the beginning of the Lord calling me back because uh as I think back on it now, the, the place that I was in at the time, maybe he was the only human being on the planet that could have brought me back. Because I think if it had just been some, you know, a regular pastor behind me who was just clean cut and, you know, I, I wouldn't even have given him the time of day. I probably never would have admitted to being me. <laughs> and, uh, um, but because of the, because of this particular person, I went to his church and the Lord started to speak to me again. And, uh, and there was early on, there was a beautiful experience where, where, uh, as we discussed, I think it was in episode two, I had one of those powerful spiritual experiences and, um, and I knew that the Lord was calling me home. So so can you give us some details on that? Because I think Mormons who are questioning their faith need hope, right? That there's something good to come to that right. is not going to be all the 10 years that you spent, right? That yeah. you they really can move on to something better that's healing and whole and merciful yeah. and forgiving and graceful and a much more peaceful way to live. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things that that 
then I think anybody who's who's leaving or has left Mormonism can understand is that, you know, I felt so I, I wanted nothing to do with the church ever again, any church. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt so burned that uh yeah, it didn't matter what kind of church it was. I just didn't want anything. I didn't trust it anymore. And even more than that, I didn't trust, you know, I had believed that, you know, it's like, yeah, I'd been deceived, but, but I had a part in that too. And I had believed, you know, and, and I lost faith. I guess I, I never lost faith in God, but I lost faith in my own ability to recognize what's real and what isn't, you know, it was like, the only thing I knew was that voice that I had heard after prayer that one day was God, everything else you know, could be real, couldn't, I certainly wasn't going to put my faith in any man again, um, or any group of men again. And so if I had gone, you know, if I had gone to a church and immediately walked in and, and it was a church and they started wanting, you know, my money and wanting some kind of a commitment from me, I would have just turned around and walked right out. You know, I had, you know, nothing. But when I went to this little you know, industrial warehouse with this small group. And there was probably only like 15, you know, 15, 20 uh, people there to worship. Um, that in itself was interesting to me. The preaching, he, he mostly just read from the, from the word, from the New Testament. He'd go through verse by verse and talk about it. What does it mean? And he always would focus just on love and faith. And that was it, you know, love, and, and he made sure, um, <laughs> he made sure to let everybody know that, and that's something that appealed to me too, was right off the bat, he was like, you know, this is, is like, I don't care what your problems are, you you know, if you've got drug problems, I didn't, you know, your drug problems, uh, homosexuality, I didn't, you know, but he just made it clear that no matter what your problems were, this is where you're meant to be, you know, yeah. and uh and that the guy, and he kept bringing the gospel back to love. It's it's love and and the real message of of Jesus and 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 the word. You know, he didn't hardly ever stray outside the word. And I really responded to that. And uh, and so I kept, I started going and going more. You know, I, I'd go more regularly. And then I started doing the Wednesday night meetings and mm-hmm. and just getting to know the community. And they were such good people. And they never asked anything of me. Um, and Sean never, you know, he it was even part of his church where he wouldn't ask for money. Uh, there was a little box in the back that if you wanted to put money in to help support his ministry, you could. But he never brought it up. Yeah. And um, and they never required time commitments. And there was nobody, you know, wanting me to put my name on a roll. Nothing like that. It was just yeah. showing up, hearing the word, and being in fellowship with other you know, Christians who were very open about the fact that they were not perfect people either, yeah. which is very unique because, you know, in Mormonism, you don't yeah. let, you know, you want, you, you, you want that facade of, of you're living, you're righteous, you know, you're, you're living the gospel. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I was really surprised by being around people who were very open about, you know, we're, you know, we're all sinful, but we love Jesus and we're, you know, it's his righteousness that will save us, not our own, but we're trying our best and whatever our problems are, we're going to get through them, but it's all about him. And I really, really loved that and responded to it. And then one day, <laughs> this experience that I was, that I alluded to earlier was uh, a woman was, had, had just wandered in. She wasn't, I'd never seen her before. She was sitting on the front. And as soon as, 
the meeting was about to start. We'd finished our one song that was only, it wasn't a pop song. It was just a, a, a verse of the Bible or a couple of verses put to music. So I loved that. And then where usually Sean would get up and speak, this woman just stood up and took the microphone and she started to talk. And she was clearly having some chemical, you know, some drug issues and, and started talking about all her problems in her life and basically just rambling and, and having psychological issues clearly. And I was sitting there just fixated. <laughs> I was like, okay, what is going to happen here? Because if this was an LDS meeting, boy, she wouldn't have lasted 20 seconds up there. Somebody would have ushered her off. Um, so I, I, and I, maybe in my mind, it was like, okay, here's where the rubber meets, meets the road. It's like, is this, are these guys, you know, sincere? Is this real? Is Sean real? Or is, is it all just talk? And so I watched as he let her talk until she was pretty much talked out. And then he got up, stood next to her, put his arm around her, thanked her for, for sharing with us. And then asked her, you know, to go ahead and have a seat, you know, on the front row. And then after the meeting, if she would stick around, we, you know, as a, as a church, we'd like to pray for her. And then she sat down and he continued his message. And then at the end, immediately afterwards, It's going to be hard to express. The whole church, these 15 people got up and immediately encircled her. And they all started praying for her. And it wasn't just like, you know, the Mormon prayer where one guy steps in and takes control. One person would start praying and another person would join in. And when they were done, another person would pray for her. And uh, the love that was in that room was just so powerful. The spirit of the Lord, you know, the, the it was so powerful that I, I I had to leave because I was just about to just completely, you know, lose it and end up sobbing on the floor. So, so I uh, wiped away my tears and got out of there so that I could be alone. But it was it was uh, it was. We talked in the earlier episode about those experiences of of that that spirit of love and the spirit of the Lord being present and and it not making sense. And then for me to have it here uh, was was such a huge moment for me. And I knew at that point that I was home. Um, uh, I was maybe just one step through the doorway of home, but I was home. And at that point, I really it was like okay. All right. I knew that I knew again that the Lord had put me here. And then over the next few years, it was just so, so clear and apparent to me that uh, the Lord had reached out to me at my my lowest point when I'd lost hope and through a through a, you know, very unlikely messenger had taken my hand and brought me back. And uh, after that, I just dove back into the New Testament. I hadn't, you know, it's like after I left Mormonism and all that horrible stuff happened, I'd pretty, I'd stopped reading the Bible. I always had it close to me by my bed, but I'd never, you know, gone back into it. But when I dove back into the Word and started to, you know, reread the uh, the New Testament, that was just, I just wanted to focus on that and uh, seeing it, you know, fresh 
with non, you know, with with Mormonism distant in my mind, and uh, it started to come alive, and and the word, and the little community I was in started to to change me, so, and uh, I was home. Wow, what a did- it, it's 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 amazing how uh, God can take different people and just put them together. I always always like to look at Christians like that as there there was a cartoon made years ago, I think it was a Rudolph, the red nosed reindeers, and they went to the island of misfit toys. And they weren't quite right. And sometimes that's where we are as Christians. We're we're, you know, part of us are here, part of us are there. We don't have this full understanding. And especially when you come out of Mormonism, you're just a wreck. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I think Lynn will say she was a wreck for like five years. To, to try to put everything together and you try to analyze like, you know, the last thing I wanted to do when I came out of Mormonism, just like what you were saying, I don't want to go and join another church. I want somebody that, you know, says, well, you know, you need to go through these lessons real quickly. We need to get you baptized and then on the membership role and then you can start doing this and this and this. I didn't need, I just needed to work out what the gospel was. And, you know, sometimes when you're in this misfit toys group of people, that's where you learn the most uh, because you're all sharing and it was all coming together. And I, I know Lynn always states, you know, she was like a misfit toy for like five years and I'm still a misfit toy. You know, Lynn's been trying to help me, but uh, I'm still there. Uh, but the, the fact is now this is going to bring us into the next section what God is doing with you at this point. Um, uh, and so you want to kind of give us an idea where, so we can go into the next part here. Yeah, well, at this, so you got me in a certain place where I was and eventually I got to a place again, where it was like, I felt like I had to give up filmmaking again, because it was like, I, again, Oh no. <laughs> and so I started kneeling and praying every night that, you know, father, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You just have to show me what to do. And then he did. And that, I think that would be a good thing to. uh, And to bring it back to the question we started with, what does it matter if it isn't true? It matters. And um, God has better things in mind for folks who, who's, who's, Hearts and minds are open to truth and to Jesus who calls himself truth. Grace and peace to you. Until next time. May God bless.